How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, good morning. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Uh, that's where we're going to start today, and man, we're going to be all over the place. Uh, so we'll have some stuff on the screen uh, as well for you, but uh, I'd encourage you to take your copy of God's Word uh, and look to this passage. Ephesians chapter 4 is where uh, we're going to begin in a moment. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and as we get ready uh, to jump in uh, to the text and, and to read God's word together corporately today, uh, I'd love for us to just center our hearts and minds for a moment, to just take a moment to bow in prayer together, uh, ask that the Lord would, would be with us and that we, he would cause our hearts to receive his truth. So let's do that together now. Let's take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, God, you have called us together. You have drawn us together corporately to worship you. And Father, you have put it on our hearts. You've inspired us and encouraged us, even in the midst of one another, to be compassionate towards one another as we've seen your love. God, to, to put on this new self to be people who would be reflective of the truth of who we really are, that we'd be those that are holy, those that are beloved. God, and that, that in that reality, we would love one another. We would care for one another. Um, God, impress upon each of us today the beauty and even the mystery of what it is to be a part of your church. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to start uh, today. Look, we've been in a series, I think this is week 6, uh, in a series called Foundation, where we've been talking through, we've been working through deep realities that are to be the bedrock, truly the foundation of our faith. And we mean that individually for each of us. We walked in here individually on our own two feet this morning. We came to this place in which this foundational aspect is true for each of us. And yet it's more. It's also something that we share in corporately. One, Big C Church, like the church universal, the church of which all believers are a part, but specifically our church, Double Oak Community Church in Chelsea. And the foundation of who we are and who we long to be is this. Our foundation is the beautiful good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing on which we stand. It is the thing that, that most deeply should and will, I believe, by God's grace, characterize us, who we are. Everything about us that we would really be, this is the vision for our church, that we'd be gospel people. That there would be a culture here and an understanding and truly expressed belief that everything we are is in relationship to the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That all of scripture points to the reconciliation of God and man that comes through the blood of the cross and Jesus' resurrection. That that would be the foundation on which we stand. So for the first few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to really believe that gospel. What the gospel is, that it is in fact the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And what it means for us to repent and believe in the gospel. Not just for one moment in the past when we came to Christ. At a moment of justification where we trusted in Christ for the very first time. But also for every subsequent moment. 
For every moment in the Christian life, we're called to keep the reality of the gospel before us. We're called to continually believe in the gospel. And over the last few weeks, we've actually looked very specifically at not just what it means to believe the gospel, but what it means to live in the gospel, to experience the actual implications, the things that happen to us. What we're made to be, we're new creations in Christ. We who have trusted in Christ. What happens to us, and this is what we found, that Jesus' heart is that we would be one with one another. That believers would have such a deep unity as we saw in the high priestly prayer in John 17 that they're intricately connected so much so that those relationships resemble and actually look like the relationship that God the Father and Christ the Son have for one another. That mutual love, that the affection, that the care, that the compassion, that the love for one another would be that deep. And last week we saw... That what it means to live in the reality of the gospel as we look to Colossians 3 is that this is a corporate endeavor. That being a part of the faith, that trusting in Jesus Christ, that experiencing the gospel is not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. It's something that we do together. And not just where we come and we sit in a service and, and we watch a thing happen and we, and we participate or respond spectate and then we leave but instead this corporate endeavor really involves us putting our heart and our life and our energy into the reality of the church and in doing that christ is exalted today we're going to talk about one more aspect of what it means to live in the gospel and a really practical application something that's very easy for each of us to do and take part in if we're willing to believe the gospel so that we can receive its benefit. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And it says this. Paul writes and he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with love in, or one, bearing with one another rather in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now listen to this. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. Um, look, I've, I've grown up in the world of... Um, modern convenience and i think i think most of us have right and some of this stuff is stuff that that just i i, I never knew anything different right like uh like like television remote control like that wasn't like new to me for some folks they experienced that being something they didn't have like right off the bat right microwave oven like pretty normal had that most of my life right remote control or like a kind of the garage door opener, right? Cell phones, even like that kind of came in early in my life, but I got to experience those and see those. All of these things that were incredibly convenient. I think now we're shifting into a world where I'm actually experiencing the beginning of something new happening. I'm not just kind of born into this thing that already exists. And here's what I mean. Um, I think most of us grew up in a world where we had modern conveniences, all these things that were really, really easy. 
But the world is shifting, the world is pivoting, the world is moving to a place not just of modern convenience, but something else entirely, and it's this. It's customization. Customization. Where everything is not just available to us, because that's what convenience is, right? Those things are available to us. Life is easy. Now, life is so customized in every corner that we're made to feel like life is all about us. And when I say us, I mean you and me, like individually. And here's how. Look, Burger King pioneered this, right? What did they say? Have it your way, right? Like you don't just have to have the regular way a burger's made, which I don't see a problem with. Seems great and tastes fine. But you can do all these incredible things to your burger to make it not regular burger, but you can make it your burger, right? Um, Starbucks. This is the wildest thing, right? It's the first place I guess I ever saw that people would write your name on your cup. And they do that so that they can signify you, right? So that you can know that it's yours. And that's important so that you don't get like, you know, coffee with cream or iced coffee whipped cream or whatever you get at Starbucks, this science experiment of an order that, that, that you watch people place, right? And this is where I'll actually go really hard. Look, just drink coffee. Like God made it and it's his good gift to us. And we don't got to do all this weird stuff to it. We can just enjoy it. Um, uh, I will stand by that aggressively. Um, but look, here's the other thing. Like, like really, really specific stuff. Like when I was a kid, uh, we used to go, uh, you know, my favorite place to go get shoes was Just for Feet at the Galleria. Does anybody remember this? Like Just for Feet. And they would have Midnight Madness and you'd go and they'd have like the big, like the, basically like the Batman light, like the spotlight in the sky. And there was popcorn and pizza and you'd go get shoes and it was a blast. But the kind of shoes you got were the ones they had there. Like, if it was there, you would get that shoe. But if it wasn't, you could not get that shoe. Here's what online has done. Like, you just designed your Nikes. Literally, you could do this. And I, I spent like a couple of minutes looking at this and seeing how this works. But you can customize. There's all these different kinds of pairs of Nikes that you can customize to you. You can make your Jordans your Jordans, right? Not what Michael's design is, what yours is. And you can change colors, and you can change the palettes, and you can change every part from the eyelet to the laces to the upper part to the tongue. You can get your initials engraved on it. You can pick the sole. No one sees that. It's on the bottom. <laughs> we walk on that part. But all of these things are customizable. Why is that? Because this is what's happening, not just to us, quite frankly, in us, in our world. We want to stand out in some way, even if it's not to others, to ourselves. I want to read you a, a quote from a Forbes article I read recently that said this. The rise of individualism in the last decade brought forth one central priority, and it's this, to stand out. Of course, everyone can have the same iPhone, but each individual, individual customer would like to customize its size, color, storage capacity, and phone case color. Look, this is happening digitally. It's happening in, uh, look, this is something I didn't have as a modern convenience growing up, this metaverse thing, right? Look, the world is changing before us. And one of the deep ideas that's coming from within people is that, man, I need to stand out. I need to be known. And it's in this desire to customize and curate and make all of life about me 
that we communicate our deepest need. What's my identity? That's really the question we're asking. Now, if you're somebody who's gone to Nike.com and designed Nikes, I'm not coming at you hard right here and saying you don't know who you are, okay? What I am saying is that these things that exist around us point to that which is within us, which is our desire to be known. And sometimes we don't even want that from others. We just want it for ourselves. We want to prove to ourselves that we're worth being known. And so that manifests itself in individualism. But as we look through the canon of Scripture, we see that God gives us something so much better. There is a much better and a much more beautiful and a much more rich path where you can experience your identity and what it means to be known. This is what we read last week in Colossians chapter 3, that we are God's chosen ones. We are holy. We are beloved. First Peter would describe it in this way. They'd say that, we are, that we're living stones, that we're a royal priesthood, that we're a holy nation, that we are a people of God's own possession. And it would describe Christians and those who've come to Christ, and specifically these folks in these churches that, that Peter's writing to, that they were once not a people, and now they're a people. They were once in this place where they didn't have identity, and now they have identity. Look, God's design is for us to live in the gospel together. Not do this thing individually and and go our separate ways. I I would like implore you to understand that this morning, the goal is not for you to come and sing songs to God just by yourself and hear a sermon to go apply and make your life better by yourself, but it's actually to build up the church together. Us, one another. Living in love and real relationships together. Uh, three things for today that we got to recognize. Three things specifically. Um, and anytime this happens, I think there are people like, oh, what letters are you going to pick today? All right, well, the letter is C. C is where we're going. All right? Uh, but, but, but if we want to live in the reality of the gospel, if we want to experience gospel life, here's the first thing we need to do. We need to recognize that we have communion with one another communion with one another. Look at how Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4 that we read this morning. He says, and he doesn't just say, you guys are together. You guys are bonded. You got some stuff in common. Look at the way that he highlights who the church is. He says this, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is really, really important for us to see as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, what he's driving home is a couple of things. One, you'll notice three very specific names for the Lord there. One is spirit. One is Lord, which directly refers to Jesus Christ. And one is God, the Father of all. So, so this is a true Trinitarian statement from Paul about what God's church, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, working in and through them, this is what it looks like. It looks like one faith, one baptism, one hope, 
This one God in three persons that we sang about this morning. This blessed trinity that is over all and in all. So what are we to make of this? And I'm caught up into something that is bigger than me. It's bigger than me. And specifically... This is a reality, not just because this exists and I could be a part of it, but look at how he writes to the church. He says, therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You're called into fellowship with one another. You're called into communion as believers. You're called into this, this real fellowship. John would write it and say it in this way. He would say, this is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And, and, and we know these words. Uh, we walked through that series in 1 John. I think these are in your bones, but let, let's read it, read it and see it together. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of the life. Concerning the word of life. This is Jesus that John writes about. And he says, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have what? Fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Something really, really incredible is happening here as John is describing Jesus who he's heard, Jesus who he's seen, Jesus who he's beheld up close, Jesus who he's touched. He says the result of believing the gospel, trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, repenting and believing, recognizing the deep reality of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for us, his person and his work, is this incredible reality. One, we have relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son, true fellowship like actual connection and communion. This is not just God tolerates me now and I'm okay. He lets me be a part of the thing that he's doing. But no, there's a real relationship that we have. And it goes even beyond that. John says that we have fellowship with one another. So much so that he describes that having fellowship with one another would characterize what makes his joy complete. That there's this deep reality to which we're called, as Paul would write, that we're called to be with one another genuinely. That we are called to have communion with one another. That word fellowship is a word that you probably know. It's a Greek word uh, called koinonia. And it means participation. It means a sharing. It means truly having in common together. In such a way that's what's mine is yours, and what's yours is mine. We share this together. It's where the Latin uh, communio comes from, where we get our English word communion. 
It comes from this place where we recognize that we share in a relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son by the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what we have in common together. One God, one Spirit, one Lord in Jesus Christ. And this is overall, in all, and through all. This is the opportunity that we have to experience is to live in the gospel together. Here's the second thing. To live in the gospel is to recognize not only that we have communion with one another, not only that we have this communion with one another, this shared connection, this shared unity, but also this. Communion has a context. Communion has a context. Think about this. Look through every New Testament epistle, and this is what you're going to find. These are letters. They're, they're books of the Bible, and they are books indeed, but, but ultimately they're, they're letters. And when you see these letters, you're going to see some really, really important things at the very front. You're going to see they were written to specific people, to specific groups of believers, to specific local churches. So Paul's going to write to Rome. That's what Romans is. It's Christians in this place. And to Christians in Galatia and Ephesus and Colossae and Philippi and all of these places. In 1 Peter, he's, like, he's writing to these churches that are, that are spread out. These people that have trusted Jesus but are now spread out. And they're in Asia and then they're in Pontus and they're Galatia and they're in Bithynia and they're in all these places. There are specific contexts in which communion exists. Paul would, would write it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 17 says this, For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Every church. So Paul recognizes that we have communion and there is this deep universal communion with saints past, present, and future that we experience where we are one in Christ together. And yet the expression of that, the way it fleshes itself out, is actually in a much smaller and a localized and a communal context. So he says, look, these things are the things that I teach to every church. Every church. He recognizes that there are tons of churches, ones that he's planted and been a part of, or one like that church at Colossae that he's never visited, he's never been to, but he writes to them. He recognizes that there are different churches. Why is that important? Because communion has a context. Our local churches are the place where we get to express this deep unity of loving one another so deeply it's as if if that's a picture of the way that God the Father loves the Son and that the Son loves the Father. That has to take place somewhere between real people. Paul acknowledges that though we're one, our deep oneness in Christ, it's expressed as believers gather together locally. I want you to think about, uh, we're not going to turn to all these, but I'm going to read you some of these passages. When you look through the New Testament and you see the way that, that the church is called to live, you see all these passages that say one another. 
all these passages that say one another. The way that we're called to live together in unity. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Be of the same mind with one another. Romans 15, 5 through 7. Live in harmony with one another. Welcome one another. Galatians 5, 13. Through love, serve one another. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 2, bear with one another in love. Colossians 3, 13, forgive one another. We read it last week. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, do good to one another. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. What's the thing that drives the ability to do this? It's context. I can't rejoice with somebody if I don't know them. I can't weep along somebody if I, don't, if, if I don't know them, if I don't know what they're walking through. I can't do that with you if I don't know you. How do I bear your burden in a universal way? I can't. But I can if I know you. I really can. And you really can too. You can bear with one another in love. You can forgive one another. You can confess sins to one another If you know one another, what's all this pointing towards? This is the third thing. To live in the gospel is this. is to recognize we have communion with one another. That we're one. One body. Paul would say this not just in Ephesians, but you know this in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. All of these passages that would describe that we're one body. We have communion with one another. Fellowship with God the Father, Christ the Son, and then fellowship with each other as believers. So we have communion with one another. We recognize that, that communion has a context. There's a place where that communion is fleshed out. And here's the final and last thing. To live in the gospel, to really participate in the gospel means this. That you would express covenant within your context. That you would covenant with your context. Here's the thing. We're all afraid of commitment. All of us. Really, truly. Right? So much so that the world that wants us to, to have this customized life, they know it about us. Right? So there's no contracts. No fees. Right? You can quit Netflix at any time. You could, you could stop doing Hulu, and every time I turn on Hulu, it's, it's customized to me. I don't even watch it, and it knows me, all right? Like, and you've got your, like, cable bundle thing that, that you're made to feel is all about you when it's the exact same thing your neighbor has, except their internet is something how never down in mine is. I don't get that. But, look, these things, the way that these, they're marketed to us, Tell us something about ourselves. Look, this generation of people, and look, I'm a part of it, not proud, but we're not commitment folks to a large degree. Like when I was a kid, do you remember making plans with people when you were a kid? And you just like had to be there before cell phones? Like you made plans to meet, you got to do it. You got to be there. Like half the episodes of Seinfeld are about this, right? But now like we just, we have our cell phone and... We'll, there are like, I exist and you do too with people who will cancel on a moment's notice because like, like, I'm not their best offer. <laughs> they got a better offer. They're going to cancel. They're going to do something different. That's the kind of people 
unfortunately, that, 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 and that can be you and me too. But here's the thing. The church wasn't meant to be that way. I mean the church universal, but I mean little local churches like ours. We're not meant to be that way. We're meant to have real covenant relationship with one another. The table that we're going to come to this morning is a tangible picture of covenant. There's a new covenant in Christ's blood that we share in, that we participate in. God has made covenant with us, and we're called to be in covenant with one another. It's a big deal. Um, Here's the thing. If you come to Double Oak Chelsea and you worship here, and some of you, and, and like, this isn't lost on me. I, I, know, I know you. I've seen you. You've been here. You've worshiped. You've been here for a while. And some of you, I know, is your, might be your first Sunday. And I'm not trying to like, do that exactly at y'all. But you know what I mean. Like, 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 in so many ways, like, not just me. Our church knows. You've been here. You've been visiting. You've been looking around. I'll be, I'll, I'll be the first to say this. I hope you like it. I mean, I really do. Like, I want you to like it. I really do. But more than you, you loving the music and tolerating the sermons, right? I, I want you to be at a place where you don't just like this place. You love it. Because you've come to find that this isn't a place at all. It's a people. That's the church. That's me and you. And that you would recognize and come to the reality and pray through the fact that God may be calling you, truly calling you, to be a part of this church. Um, So here's the application for this. Join the church. And I mean that so seriously. Join the church. Not, no, look, we're, like, we're... We're an independent uh, church in, in, in so many senses. Like, I grew up in a, in a Southern Baptist church, and, and we were a part of a cooperative program. We had affiliation with the SBC. That's not who we are. So, like, when I say join the church, like, we don't get some sort of, like, incredible benefit that you don't know about. Like, and I mean it, seriously. So, it, like, doesn't really matter if there are, and I, I mean, I'm going to say this not in a cavalier sense, but in an important sense. It doesn't really matter if there are 50 or if there are 150 or there are 250 or there's 500 here on Sunday. It matters because all of those, those numbers represent souls. They represent people created in God's image. But you need to understand, I'm not saying this from, like, got the call from corporate. Got to do the membership push today, right? Like, that's not what this is on any level. This is to encourage you to be a part of a covenant people who want to express God's love to you. Who want to bear your burdens. Who want to rejoice and celebrate you or celebrate with you and you when, when there's something to rejoice over and to weep with you in moments of pain. To grieve with you. That's what the church is. And in doing that, God's love is affirmed and communicated within us. We believe the gospel in a deeper way as a result of that. And then we get to put that love on display for the world to see. So I would urge you to come and join and be a part of our church. And if it's not our church, and you might have some questions doctrinally or organization-wise, and I get that. And we want to answer all those things, and we will. Um, and we're great, I do think we're great about that. Personally, we'll, we'll tell you everything there is to know. 
But join because you see that the communion that we have has a context. And that we're covenant people. We're called to promise ourselves to one another. When, when Paul would write to the church at Thessalonians and say, I not, we not only gave you the gospel, but our lives as well, he's modeling that for this young church so that they can do that. So that they can give their lives to one another. And not just the, like, I need to borrow a cup of sugar life, but like, I need to come and crown your shoulder life. The, I need help. I need prayer. I want to celebrate with you. I want to be in your life in these milestone moments. That kind of beautiful life. Church membership is not about being a part of a club. And everywhere you look throughout the New Testament, you're never going to find a protocol. Like there's no appendix in the back of your Bible for here's how church membership works, right? It doesn't exist. But we do see these beautiful principles of what it means to exist with one another in communion in a specific context, and as people that have covenant with each other. So here's the thing. Um, as you are coming to this place, I would, I would urge you to pray about joining our church so that you can commit to us and, quite frankly, allow us to commit to you. Like we're going to have a couple that's going to join at the end of the service this morning, and that's not planned. That's not pre-planned. They decided to do this before, I promise. But they're going to join our church, and they're going to confess. They're going to say it's their confession that they believe that Jesus Christ has called them to be an active part of this church at this time to share their gifts and abilities with our church so that we might grow in believing the gospel and living in the gospel and living it out. That that might be characteristic. And then as a church, those of us who are members, we're going to look back at them and we're going to affirm the same things. And we're going to promise to come alongside them in covenant. And look, you may be a member of our church and I know a number of you are. And so here's what I would ask you. Are you living that out right now? Are you offering yourself to other believers in this congregation, in community, with your gifts and abilities, the things God has endowed you with, so that people can grow in gospel belief and in gospel life and in gospel love? Are you doing that? Are you experiencing community well enough to where you can say, look, there's people that I'm bearing their burden. I'm rejoicing with them. I'm praying with them. I'm confessing sin to them. I know you're not doing that. Nobody likes to do that. That's the hard one, right? We ought to be doing that together to grow in faith. If you're a believer, ask yourself if you're doing that. And this morning, we get the most beautiful picture of what it means to be covenant people, to share in koinonia. This morning, we get to participate in the Lord's Supper. As we come to this table, uh, and I want to ask our, our, our worship team to go ahead and come, uh, and, and elders and deacons and folks serving the table, you guys go ahead and come as well. Um, but, but this morning, we get the chance to, to truly share in, participate in a tangible picture of Christ. We get to proclaim together the gospel that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And so I want to ask you to, to take a moment and bow your head 
uh, and prepare to come to this table. Uh, and as you bow your head, my hope is that you'll listen and you'll hear this because I want to tell you um, two things that really matter. One, this is a meal for people who have trusted in Christ. I want to be very clear, you don't have to be a member of our church to take this, uh, but you do need to be a member of Christ's body. You need to be a believer in Jesus. And if you're not, we would ask that you'd refrain from this. This is not just a thing to do. Uh, it's something deeply woven into the hearts and lives of those who've trusted Christ. And here's the second thing. This is a serious moment. But it's meant to be seriously fun. This is where we feed on Christ in our hearts by faith. Where we, where we taste and see his goodness that's come to us. What this table exemplifies is serious. But the other thing that's serious is that this isn't just about you, it's about all of us. Truly, all of us. And not just a we're in this together kind of way. that we're one with one another, one body, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God in three persons. God that loved us so much, the Father would give his Son that we could have everlasting life. And that's what we celebrate at this table this morning. At this table, you will look up. You can't help but look up. You taste these elements and you look up to the God who's created you, who has reconciled you to himself through Jesus. But don't miss this in this moment. Look out. Look around. See the very body of Christ of which you are a part and rejoice that God has made a better way for us. Not to just have this as individuals, but to celebrate this together. So, Heavenly Father, we recognize these things. And Father, we are drawn to this table to celebrate your proclamation. Of what has come. That your body was broken for us. That we're given that. We're given that picture in this bread. And that Jesus, you spilled your blood, that it was shed. that our sins would be forgiven for the remission of our sins, that we might embrace and enjoy and experience this new covenant that you've made with us. God, we're so thankful for this meal and that you give it to us. 
I ask, Father, that, that for our people, our context, this local body, this group of people that covenants together to express the great love that you have, have given us to demonstrate that with one another. God, for all the world to see. God, would you cause us in this moment at this table to taste and see that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd ask you to stand uh, in this moment. Uh, we're going to sing uh, together. Um, and look, for uh, I don't know if we've got any fellow doubters uh, in the place, uh, but look, uh, this is the beautiful thing about this table. Everything that it says about me is nothing that I've done. Everything that I receive, enjoy, experience, benefit in my relationship to God through Christ by the Spirit and my life with you is all about what God has done for us. So let's come and celebrate that together. Uh, And this morning of all mornings, as we recognize that life in the gospel is is about community, um, I would genuinely ask you this. Um, And look, man, I I make it weird, and I I know, and it's not fun that I make it weird like this. But look, I want you to don't don't come to this table alone. Come to this table together. And if you see somebody around you that needs somebody to come to the table with, go to that table with them. Do it. Because you're doing something incredible in that moment. You're expressing that we're not doing this alone. We do this together. And look, I'll say this, and we'll, as the more we do this, the more I'll say this. Like, I've just never been to a lot of meals where you just had to be quiet. And there's just no biblical rule for that. There's just not. And I'm not, like, the, the most scholarly. Like, we've, we've, but we know these scriptures. And there's no command where it says, you be quiet when you do this. Be reverent in your heart, absolutely. But this is a joyous time. This is a celebratory moment. Come to this table and experience the gospel and believe it and live in it together. So we invite you now to come and dine with us. Come and celebrate what God has done.
You can remain standing. We're going to do two things uh, before we get out of here. One, I want to introduce you to uh, the aforementioned new members of our church. Uh, this is the Vignelle family. Uh, TJ, Kayla, uh, little one, Ella Ray. Um, really, really thankful uh, to have them come and be a part of our church family. Uh, we've gotten to meet them, hear their story about how each of them came to Christ, how they came into relationship uh, with the Lord. Uh, and look, God's drawn them to this place, uh, to be in a place where they could experience life and gospel belief, life in the, in, in the reality of, of what it means to participate in this gospel and a life of gospel love. So let, let me ask you this morning, is, your, is it your confession, is it your belief that Jesus Christ is calling you to be an active part of this church at this time to share your gift, your spiritual gifts, the abilities that God has given you with our church that we might grow in the wisdom, in the admonition of the Lord, in gospel belief, in gospel life, and in gospel love. If this is the case, uh, say, this is what we're going to do. Say, we will. All right, church, look back at them and covenant with them. Make the promise to them that, that they have made to you that they long to not just be here at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and then enter this room and exit this room, but instead be intentional in the way that they live with us. So church, is it, is it your confession? Will you do this thing where you share your gifts and abilities with this family so that TJ and Kayla and Ella Ray might grow in belief in the gospel? If you're willing to do this, say, we will. Amen. Amen. Super, super, super glad to have you all. I'm clapping as one person, but let's get yeah, out. There we go. All right. Um, and hey, uh, to kind of serve as our benediction uh, this morning, um, we sang this song forever. So many of us know this song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Uh, we're going to do something that I think I would hope enhances the reality of this this morning. Um, we're going to sing together, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Ours. We're going to sing that together. It's weird, and you're not supposed to do this to songs like this, and I totally get that. Um, but as we leave this place this morning, I, I think we need to sing that together. To recognize that, that life in the gospel is this corporate endeavor. It's something that we do all together. And we don't live in this alone. We exist in a community together. So let's sing this together as the benediction as we leave this place this morning. 
This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. This is our story. This is our song. May the God of peace fill us with all hope as we believe in him. May we all go in peace.